What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. I'm a huge fan. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and technology-permitting Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, a new record for the Dow. A year since hitting pre-pandemic highs. The benchmark index seems unstoppable. But could there be a threat lurking in the wings while you might want to be wary of the dreaded I-word? And later, five-time NBA All-Star Chris Weber has a new project that could light up one red-hot industry. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, we've got a bonus hour coming your way at 6 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. All this week, tune in for a Fast Money special report on the new American investor. From Reddit to SPACs and everything in between, we'll dive into all the trades that are front and center for a new crop of retail traders. But we start off tonight with the reflation trade. The 10-year yield hitting a one-year high. 1.3%. Does that mean the economy is staging a healthy recovery or that inflation is making a comeback sooner than we all thought? What could that mean for the markets? Guy, why don't you open it for us tonight? First of all, I mean, where's Bitcoin? It's like 50,000. BK's having technology problems. He should have better (laughs) technology than Bill Gates at this point. I mean, he gets no pass from me. I offer him no quarter, number one. Number two, it, it means that the market is clearly anticipating this economy opening up in a major way in the second half of the year. And that's a great thing for the economy. It might not be such a great thing for the stock market. And although the market seemingly likes rates rising right now, we're going to get a point in that curve where it no longer does. And my sense is it's about that one and a half percent. And listen, you've talked about a 10-year yield that went from 53 basis points in August to north of one and a quarter now. In a seemingly short period of time, that's a tremendous move. And I just think it's getting started. Banks are going to like it. Resource trades are going to like it. But inflation is here, Mel. Make no mistake. You heard it from Kraft Heinz. You're seeing it in soft commodities. Just look at charts like Archer Daniels, Midland, and Bungie. And it's right in front of us. Now, the Fed thinks they can control it. Good luck with that. Yeah, lumber price is also a record according to all different. I mean, across species, if you can. I mean, the lumber comes in species, different uses for yellow pine and ponderosa pine and oriented strand board and all that. All at record highs. And Kraft Heinz, those comments, items like mayonnaise, Tim, mayonnaise experiencing pricing pressures at this point. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge Mayo not a fan. huge fan of mayo, for what yeah, it's worth. Yeah. Uh, big fan of Zach Mayo. Um, and, and Guy brought the lumber there. But I, I think you've got a case here where uh, higher inflation is something to pay attention to. And let's not forget about bondholders. You know, we talk all about the impact on equity players. Uh, but how about uh, all of those funds that have been forced to push out the curve uh, and are that much more underweight, uh, excuse me, under, underwater in terms of ne- negative yielding assets? So um, if you look at that empire manufacturing number, so not, you know, not a household uh, uh, economic indicator of sorts, but 10-year highs on prices paid, uh, any slack in the services industry is gone and demand is moving higher. So on some level, this is the market anticipating a, a pent-up demand dynamic. Uh, on some level, this is the market. Remember, we talk about the Fed all the time that can control the short end of the curve 
but has no control over the long end. And, and effectively, the long end, as Guy pointed out, there's been a 75 basis point hike. So uh, I think this is a very good time for banks. Remember how much we said uh, banks were operational leverage exposure into not only a recovery and Main Street coming back online, but, but then the interest rate dynamic. And, and yes, I mean, look at the move in steel companies today. Look at BHP. Look at Rio Tinto, uh, up 7.5%, I, I think, on Rio. I mean, you have huge, huge moves in commodities. I'm going to make an argument we're at the beginning of a commodity super cycle. At what point do the markets care, Grasso? At what point does, does that ascent to 1.3% or 1.5% matter if the economy is, in fact, reopening very sharply? then it's not going to care. So I, I, I think, so you have to put this in perspective. This is the whole rotation into value trade. You have five-year inflation break-evens at 10-year highs. You, you have 10-year inflation uh, break-evens at seven-year highs. If you look at the IWM from November 1st, it's up 50%. Against triple Qs, up 27%. Against the S&P, up 25%. So this has been the value rotation or the rotation into value. I don't think the market is going to care until we get to at least 2%. You're going to have some blips. You're going to have some sell-offs. But I don't think it's really going to get in the way of the overall market until 2%. Before the pandemic, we're at 1.93. I think we could handle two. I mean, the argument is that as long as Jerome Powell and company are there for the markets, the markets will be A-OK, Guy. And, and Powell has made it clear that inflation would have to be sustained for a period of time and not just sort of a spike in inflation for the Fed to change what they're doing in the market. Yeah, I get what he's saying. And good, good for him. He, you know, he <laughs> say what he wants to say. And, you know, sustained for a period of time. At what rate, though? My, my point all along has been, you know, embedded in that, embedded in that statement is the fact that they somehow think it can get to a level and then taper off, let's say, three, three and a half percent. What I'm saying is they better hope that's the case, because I think it's going to be well north of five percent before they bat an eye. And then what are they going to do? Then they're going to say it's a transitory thing. It's going to get away from them in a major way. And if you're paying attention, which I know you do and our, and our viewers do, it's headed that way. It's in all the wrong places right now, and they can't stop it. So they can talk about allowing it to stay hot for a period of time. But again, embedded in that statement is staying hot somewhere around three, three and a half percent. They better hope it stays there because I think it's well north of there in, in, in the foreseeable future. In foreseeable future, probably in the back half of this year. Let's say inflation does go higher, stays higher. What are the implications for the tech trade, Tim? Well, that, that's been one of the dynamics and that you could see a lot of people not only rotating. There's, there was some dynamic that the other part of this whole tech headwind that we started to see in the fourth quarter was some expectation you could see a change in the check and the tax regime which would see a lot of people at least looking to, to lock in some profits at lower capital gains dynamics but yeah no question um, I, I think mega cap tech has been growth at a reasonable price has been a huge beneficiary of a low growth environment and and look for, for equity shareholders right now is uh, as, as much as we appropriately point out the risks that the Fed has put underneath the the economy and, and arguably the you know the, the globe. 
Um, the, for, the, for equities right now, I, I don't see what gets in the way of Fed policy. Uh, as, as has been pointed out, Steve pointed this out, um, the Fed has to err uh, on, on you know, being very reflexive on the upside of inflation as well as they were on the downside. And, and I think, therefore, equity shareholders uh, are, are going to be the beneficiaries of that continued reach for yield and that continued reach for essentially leverage to higher rates. That also tells me, though, that if the Fed and, and let's, let's throw Treasury in there as well, because we know Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell are kindred spirits when it comes to uh, erring on the side of being too generous when it comes to stimulus and monetary policy, that inflation could, in fact, uh, get out of control a little bit, go higher than anticipated because th their reluctance uh, to pull back on the stimulus. We still have stimulus coming in the system. And this is an interesting argument put forth last week by New York Fed Pre former New York Fed President Bill Dudley. He said that there are a host of reasons why uh, the Fed could, in fact, pull back monetary uh, stimulus faster than expected. One reason is that households have a lot of cash and there's still stimulus coming. So there is a lot of cash waiting to be spent, Steve Grasso. Uh, and that could really yep. spur an uptick in, in economic activity as well as inflation. You know, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, we were worried about, or let's even go back, we've been worried about a deflationary death spiral. We're not, we don't have that right now. So we haven't had any whiff or sniff of any inflation for the longest time. Now we finally do. So I think they're going to let it run a little bit hotter, as, as all of us have said. And yes, it could, to Guy's point, it could get out of control. But we are going to watch the next four years of unprecedented stimulus. We've seen the first two trillion tranche. You, we, we've talked about the number that's been hinted that we could see 10 trillion in stimulus. But let's let's not forget this. If you would have sold this market 900 handles ago on the S&P, that would have seemed like an intelligent thing to do. And you would have missed th this rally that has been so aggressive to the upside. So although we're all waiting for the bottom to fall out, we're just riding the course right now. And I think you have a little more time to do that. So that's the rub, Guy. Even as a believer in some, no. you know, in, in potentially 5% inflation, how does that translate into your market strategy? Because as Steve Grasso points out, you know, we would have all sold too early. No, I'd be, I'm one of those people without question. There's no doubt about it. I mean, what, what, I, what I'm specifically trying to do, and I don't want to speak for everybody else, but I think you're trying to point out what can go wrong and to yeah. sort of to hide from it. I'm not suggesting anybody's doing that. I think you have to put it out there. And it, I do think at a certain point the market's going to care. And, and to the fact that, in, listen, inflation is absolutely there. Now, it's going to benefit some stocks that we have talked about as well. Throw Caterpillar in that mix that we talked about in, I want to say, uh, spring of last year when it had a $135 handle. That stock's probably going to continue to grind higher, and you're going to have to see analysts start to raise numbers. So there are going to be some winners absolutely on the back of this. But, again, the fact, you know, what I'm um, most upset by is when they make comments like we're going to let this run hotter for a longer period of time, I mean, what they're basically telling you is that they somehow can control it, and they absolutely can't control it. And I'll bring Kerry Strug back. Let's see them Kerry Strug this <laughs> landing because I don't think it's happening. So stick to the landing for all those out there who may not be familiar with uh, Carrie Strug. Yeah.
Well, uh, Google our, it. Go to your know, Google machine. We're, we're, mean, yeah, we're trying to reach every viewer out there. Our next guest says inflation yeah. is his number one concern <laughs> this year. Wall Street forecaster Jim Bianco is president of Bianco Research. Jim, great to see you. Um, so it's going to be a problem, but in the back half of the year. So what does the Fed do, if anything? Let it go? Yeah, it, it's going to be in the back half of the year because I, I agree with a lot of the comments before that inflation is percolating, but we've got the built-in excuse that the economists call the base effect because we're going to drop off the big fall in prices in April and in May, so everybody's going to look past it. But once they get sticky in the back half of the year, I think that's going to be a problem. What's the Fed do? The Fed is going to do what they did the last two cycles. They're going to give a bunch of wonky speeches that says, we're going to let it run hotter, 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 just like Guy said. And then the market's going to throw a fit, and then they're going to be forced to respond. That's what happened in 2018 when they tried to taper too much. Remember, it was automatic pilot, watching paint dry, market threw a fit. Paul jettisoned that in within 10 days. A year ago, they said, we're going to stay at one and a half forever. The market tanked on pandemic talk. And within 10 days, it cut 50 basis points. That's what will happen this time. Rates will keep going up, up, up. And then we'll get to a point where the market throws a fit because they're so worried about inflation. And the Fed will be forced to respond no matter what they say. This is how it seems to be working lately. OK, so so that means that you believe that inflation will, in fact, go hotter than expected because the Fed will be painted into a corner um, into not acting. Is that am I understanding that right? Yeah, you're absolutely. The Fed is not going to act. Yeah. We're going to look past it right now and say it's all good. It's reflation and it's going to keep going and going. And then in the second half of the year, I think it'll probably be a problem. So it's not an immediate problem for the markets. I don't think that rising rates, you know, this week, next week into the in the, the summer is going to necessarily be a problem for the market. They'll find a way to look past it. But as we continue on, and that base effect that everybody's looking for doesn't go away, and that's what I think happens, then I think it becomes a problem after that. Hey, Jim, so what, what about the credit side of this story? Because uh, junk bonds and junk issuance and the concerns we had about a uh, essentially a, a triple B minus tranche two years ago taking the world into a credit crisis is now only more of a bubble. I mean, is this, is this part of the same, uh, the same sequence of events that just doesn't really have to be an issue until we get into the fourth quarter? Or is this something that, that actually could be a risk and there could be some type of a trigger before then? You know, back in the spring last year, the, the word that everybody used was co-invest with the Fed. The Fed had backstopped the high-yield market. They were buying high-yield bonds or buying high-yield ETFs. You can't go wrong buying what the Fed's buying. Now, they stopped doing it, but everybody expects that that backstop is still there. So as long as you don't have inflation, the corporate market is going to keep running because everybody thinks that they've got a protection on the downside. It's only when you get inflation that kind of forces the Fed's hand to not be aggressive in throwing money at these markets that there will be a rethink. So, yeah, corp high yield is under 4% right now. Uh, double B high yield is, uh, is approaching um, you know, the low threes at this point. It's incredible, these yields. We used to call it high yield, and it's, we have to find a new name for it right now. But this will continue because of that perceived Fed backstop. You know, Jim, just to follow on that on that thought, you know, a year ago we were talking about fallen angels um, and, and this year we might be looking at the fastest upgrades from junk status to, to investment grade status that we've seen 
in in credit history. And I'm wondering what you think the impact of, of that is, because the flip side to a heating up economy is that companies are in better shape. Their business is theoretically better and they could actually see upgrades and that could change uh, how investors view junk. That could change how investors view investment grade. Yeah, I, you're right that we are seeing that because these companies have been given uh, a lifeline that they've been able to issue debt and they've been able to get enough cash to kind of get over the other side of the pandemic. But don't forget, on the other side, we've got a lot of zombie companies that are still alive that shouldn't be alive right now that are kind of hanging on a- as well, too. So we've got a lot of companies that are in the pipeline that when we get a turn in the credit cycle, there can be problems with these zombie companies hmm. and these other companies that have, have issued money. You know, I'm thinking like the theme parks that have issued money and are basically burning cash waiting for them to open the theme parks. They could run into trouble on the other side if the credit cycle turns before the reopening happens. Ah, okay. Jim, great to see you. Thanks for your thoughts. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Well, the illustrious Brian Kelly <laughs> has uh, harnessed his Bitcoin uh, power and has joined us. What do you think That's of this? That's right. This- miner was uh, taking up too much energy. Apparently. <laughs> um, what do you think of this um, little problem or potential problem known as inflation here in the markets? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's one, you're going to have it hit PE ratios and valuations at some point in time. I don't think it's today. I would agree with everybody else. I think it's the back half of the year. Um, But the other problem you have is the Federal Reserve thinks they have the ability to control inflation. They do have the ability to control some inflation, but not cost inflation that's caused by supply chain issues. Because I don't care how much you raise interest rates, if your supply chain is broken and you can't get goods to market, but everybody wants that same product, that price is going up. And that's the real danger here. So my view is, you know, until that you have that problem, you stay as close to the spigot as possible. You buy HYG, high yield, anything with yield, uh, and then you wait until there's going to be a problem. But mark my words, there will be a problem. Supply chain issues, Guy. You're nodding your head when BK was saying that. BK speaking my language, and you know he's he's clearly the more of the economist than any of us on this panel, and good for him. And he's a hundred percent right. You know, again, it comes down to the hubris of these Fed officials, the Fed chairman, and central bankers around the world that they somehow think they can control something that they have zero control over it, but they've done a magnificent job of convincing the populace that they can. And at a certain point, I think somebody's going to wake up and say, hey, wait a second, the genie's out of the bottle here. To Steve's point, that's the rub, trying to figure out when that is. I'm of the belief that it's closer than we think. But maybe, maybe you know, Jim Bianco and others are right. This is not a problem until this time next year or even later than that. Last quick co- comment, Tim. I, look, I don't expect this Simone Biles by the Fed here, but I don't think we need that. Um, and, and I think you've got a case where we're actually sticking the landing for equity investors right now is rotating into the best sectors where you actually have balance sheets and you have valuations. That's banks for sure. Uh, and again, I think the, if you look at resource companies, the way these companies have rebuilt balance sheets and, and adjusted CapEx, OpEx uh, to meet demand when, in fact, demand actually may be starting to peak again. Those are your plays here. And that's that's how you stick the landing. All right. Coming up, energized gains. The long beaten down oil and gas sector getting another boost today. And we spotted one trade in the options pit that suggests even more gains still to come. We'll tell you what it is. But first, Bitcoin may seem unstoppable, but there may be some other crypto plays that have paid off even more. Do you want to be in those trades? We'll have that coming up after this break. 
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Bitcoin. It cracked the 50,000 mark for the first time ever this morning before taking a little bit of a breather. And as hot as that trade's been, there have been some other players in the crypto space that, can you believe it, are doing even better. Check out some of these companies that appear to be levered to Bitcoin. Riot Blockchain is up nearly 1,500% over the past six months. MicroStrategy, we've had the CEO on the show, that soared nearly 600%, while Bitcoin itself has only gained a measly... 300 percent. So let's uh, hand it over to our very own BK baller, Brian Kelly. BK, what do you make? I mean, we've seen in the gold market, for instance, miners having more leverage than the actual commodity. So is this the case here for Bitcoin? Um, I I personally don't think so. I mean, the problem with the mining sector at this point, I think at some point in the future they may. Problem with mining right now is you have massive sunk costs. You constantly have to be updating your equipment and you're effectively making the same bet that Bitcoin is going to go up. You're going to do well if Bitcoin goes up. Now, I'm sure the CEO of Riot Blockchain will tell us, well, we can make money even in a flat market. I get that. Um, but to me, it's it's a it's a very capital intensive business. And I'd rather just buy Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin's been the slacker, apparently, on returns at 300 percent. Only 300 percent over six months. Um, C. Grasso, would you agree or I mean, I guess there is a, a case in theory that maybe some people or not institutions, namely, are not allowed to buy Bitcoin for whatever reason. Right. They are allowed to buy listed stocks instead. And so maybe this is their way to have exposure to Bitcoin. But still, 1500 percent for riot blockchain. Those, yeah, I think. I think all of those reasons that you just stated make a ton of sense. I think that for the for the most part, I bet you uh, BK is has been asked on a daily basis, if not uh, hourly basis. How do you play this Bitcoin move without buying Bitcoin? The the mind of a trader is you never want to buy something for fifty thousand dollars right now. You want to get a cheaper way of doing that. Another name is Marathon Patent, M-A-R-A. This stock was at two dollars in November. It's up 1,800%, same way that uh, the, the, the stocks that you uh, stated on the, en- on the entry coming in. So I think you bring up a valid point about miners having more leverage. But to BK's point, if the bottom falls out in Bitcoin, all of these come crashing down a lot more than Bitcoin does. Lever to the upside, lever to the downside as well. But I feel like we need to do a, a more you know kind of thing, Tim, right? I mean, you buy something mm. for $50, it doesn't mean that it's cheaper, it's cheaper 
uh, than buying a Bitcoin no, or a fraction. No, you, you could buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, by the way. You're, you're buying yeah. fractional shares. Uh, you're buying slivers. And the more you know, with some great music, by the way, is one of the best things we do. So um, I think what we're, the point we're making is that also uh, getting some other residual ancillary exposure sometimes is not only a, a way to actually get exposure when you might not otherwise have access but 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 often the, these are these are trades and, and these are important trades that on some level are going to do uh, outsized performance and have levered to uh, to a move like Bitcoin. Look, I, I think it's absurd that you buy a company and have it go up 10 times when Bitcoin's gone up three times. Um, and I and I think, again, it's not even one to one leverage there. Um, but but uh, the other side of this trade, by the way, folks, take a look at gold, because in the summer, in the early part of the summer, everything we talked about with the Fed and their inability to do a Mary Lou Retton. Yeah, that's our third gymnastic reference of the show um, meant you wanted to buy gold. Gold's down 13 percent from August. Uh, I think a lot of those fundamentals and I don't think gold's replaced by Bitcoin. Um, and, and therefore, I, I do think this is a trade. It's a trade that makes a lot of sense in an inflationary backdrop. So don't run too far away from from gold. And I am surprised that no one mentioned gold in our inflation conversation. Gold, which finished the day lower today, Guy. What's up with that? Yeah, it doesn't. Listen, without question, if you had told me all the scenarios that would play out by Valentine's Day and asked me where gold would be, I'd said it's making all-time highs easily, if not significantly, north of 3,000. And here we are sort of floundering around 1,800. I'm not sure. I think part of it is the fact that Bitcoin has taken so much of the uh, fanfare away from the gold market. Listen, I still think gold's going to be a trade here. I think the dollar's going to continue to get torched. I think at some point the gold market's going to wake up. I don't think gold and Bitcoin are attached at the hip. I don't think BK believes that either. I think both can work, and I think at a certain point both will. All right. For more on the crypto revolution, we will be joined by Riot Blockchain CEO Jason Less. That is coming up 6 p.m. Eastern time in a special bonus hour of Fast Money. Well, we are just getting started here on Fast. Here's what's coming up next. The energy sector getting fueled up today as freak storms hit the heart of America's energy industry. But can the trade keep powering through? And don't forget, a Fast Money special report on the new American investor. What the Reddit revolution has meant for the retail trader. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern, only on Fast. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Biden declaring a state of emergency as a winter storm leaves more than four million people without power across Texas. Energy prices have shot through the roof amid heightened demand in the region. Natural gas surged more than four percent today, while names like Marathon Oil, Occidental Petroleum, Devon Energy all jumped as crude oil crossed above 60 bucks a barrel for the first time in more than a year. Guy, is this investable here? I mean, we were just talking about inflation and the reflation trade, so... Maybe this is just an extra juice to that trade. Yeah, I think so. I think Tim would agree. We've, you know, for a while, we've talked about some of these levered oil names. Phillips 66 is the name we mentioned for a while. 
Look at the huge move off that $49 double bottom that we had talked about in the fall, I think, and where it is now. I still think it probably trades, potentially trades up to the June, last June's high of about 90 bucks. I think it closes 79 now. Same thing with the ExxonMobil. You know, we, again, very similar. That 31 double bottom held, probably trades up to the 54 level, which was the high again back in June. So I still think there's room in these trades. I don't think enough people are talking about them. And unfortunately, when they start, it's probably going to be too late. By the way, we just learned tonight that Berkshire Hathaway bought a $4.1 billion stake in Chevron as of the recent, most recent filing. And obviously, we don't know his position currently exactly, BK, but he tends to be a longer-term investor. Do you see value in some of these integrated names? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, if you think that oil is going to go higher, which I tend to be in that camp because we've shut down a lot of oil production in the U.S., um, I think that the integrated names could do well. I mean, obviously, they're going to get hurt from the uh, electrification of the grid here. Um, but, you know, you're, in the meantime, you still need to have that dependable baseload, right? And that's where oil comes in on this, is that you can't have what happened out down in Texas. You had uh, the wind freeze up. You had uh, natural gas plants freeze up. You need to have this baseload. So one, oil's part of that mix. And I'd also look toward nu nuclear. That could be a really interesting trade over the next couple of years. Yeah. Steve Grasso, what, with what is going on in Texas, does that underscore? I mean, I think it does underscore. These are two separate questions, I guess. It, it underscores the need for perhaps investment in infrastructure. But does that help the Biden administration get that farther, get that effort further? Yeah, I, I think it does. Not that they need any help because they, they're owning all the branches of government. So they, could, uh, they can't exactly pass whatever they want, but there's a huge push. The XLE, the ETF for energy, hasn't done anything in five years. It's up 17% year to date. So to your point, it's all part of that reflation trade. Overlay the 10-year on the XLE. It's in lockstep. It's correlated. So when you look at what's going to be passing, we were just talking about that major headwind for the energy space is ESG investing. That seems to have gone by the wayside, and it's all about inflation. All the news and all the headlines that you uh, did in the entry point of, the, of this spot, of this block, that's exacerbating it. But this is all about inflation, and it's moving higher, and it's taking energy with it. Some might argue that ESG is actually helping. I mean, our friend Paul Sankey of Sankey Research, Tim, right, yeah. he points out the harder you make it uh, for, yeah. for drillers to drill, the harder it is to get oil out of the ground, the higher the price goes. Yeah, I was just going to point out the great irony in that Biden's uh, approach to, to EV and energy policy is great for oil prices. So don't forget that, folks. Um, and, and I think the, the dynamic there, also when you layer in um, OPEC, I tell you what, every time you think they're about to implode, and I'm talking OPEC and OPEC Plus, which includes Russia, and that's really been the dynamic to watch between the Saudis and the Russians, you know, they, they came away from the last accord with, with actually more solidarity than we've seen in a long time. And, and I think in the short run, uh, always look, the, the, the biggest problem for commodities is higher commodity prices. That brings out a lot more supply, and that's in every underlying commodity. But for now, it's $63 Brent. Um, this is almost the sweet spot, and I think, therefore, we get to 75 All right. Well, one name in the energy space saw a lot of bullish options activity today. Let's bring in Mike Coe to break down the action. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, so we're taking a look at Intero Resources. This Denver, Colorado-based company isn't one of the ones that we talk about all the time, but it saw three times the average daily call volume today. 
Calls outpaced puts by about 9 to 1. Stock was up about 6% on the day. And the most active options were the March 10 calls. This stock closed the day around 9.5. The buyers of those were paying about $0.92 cents a contract, which essentially means that they're betting that the stock's going to be above $11 by March expiration. That would be an increase of over 15% from where the stock closed today, already up quite sharply. Yep. Mike, thanks for that. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, a Palantir plunge. The retail trader favorite stock sinking today after its earnings report. So has all the air been let out of this once red-hot name? And later, former NBA All-Star Chris Webber making a major announcement in the world of cannabis, what he is hoping to bring to the industry when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Palantir under pressure today, falling double digits after the data analytics company reported disappointing revenue forecast for 2021 and its earnings results earlier this afternoon. Despite today's sell-off, shares still up almost 300 percent since making its direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange back in September. For more on today's results, what it means for the stock, let's bring in Brent Thill of Jefferies. Brent, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Um, so in terms of the quarter, in terms of the forecast, did it just not live up to expectations? That's all it is. Fundamentals were alive. Uh, revenue and EBITDA beat. Uh, they gave a uh, basically a forecast up to 25, saying they're going to grow over 30 percent. The stock had had a huge move, as you mentioned, Melissa. So I think ultimately you have a uh, just expectations were too high. Uh, they delivered great fundamentals. And, and I think Ultimately, uh, there's there's a concern of the share lockup coming from the IPO that will be settling in here recently. And so we have to get through the lockup. And then I think you secondarily have to get through Ken Palantir scale out uh, and go downstream. Um, today, they service about 140 of the largest companies on the planet between government and finance, uh, commercial. And they have to prove, similar to what Tesla did when the car came out, that they can take a very high-priced piece uh, of of hardware or software in this case, and then appeal to the mass market. And that is going to take some time. That is their vision. We think they can scale down. But again, it's, it's, going, to take, uh, it's going to take several years to, to um, go into that model. Hey, hey, Brent, it's BK. So I'm glad you brought up the fact that, I mean, corporate's a small part of the business. They've struggled there. Um, in 2017, they did try to revamp it break apart their pieces. You don't have to buy the whole software package. But what signs should we look for as we get this, you know, IPO or as we get this shares unlocked? What fundamental signs should we look for that says, you know what, Palantir has actually turned it around and they are actually going to be able to sell to corporates? Because right now this is basically a government story. The government business did really well, but it is a two engine plane. The government business did well given COVID. And now they're finding new use cases for governments uh, across the globe. Uh, commercial was a weak spot in the quarter. It did very well for the full year. So ultimately, I think what happens for commercial going forward, they are stepping on the gas, hiring a triple-digit uh, growth rate. Secondarily, they have now IBM. If you're an IBM sales rep, you can expire your quota uh, on Palantir. And then third, I, th I think the customer case studies, the case studies we've done uh, with customers continue to suggest, you know, uh, take, for example, Ferrari. They took a four-minute decision and brought it to seconds. And that is the type of power of big data on the analytics side of, of Palantir that they can go after. And I think, again, uh, being able to prove not only that the largest companies in the world, but uh, the mass market can use their software. 
And again, that that's going to take time. That is not going to happen all in 21. We think it, it'll happen over the next couple of years. For, for, so for long-term shareholders, I, I think we've seen this movie before. We think they'll come downstream short-term, no question, wasn't good enough. You've got the lockup and, and the stock's going to take time to settle into that. Brent, when you look at what you just said, big data analytics, it seems like that is, is what this environment is all about with the pandemic and with the government right now trying to analyze everything from every spending package to how to help uh, meet the close that gap between the ultra rich and the people that are just making it by. Why is growth slowing so early in this story, uh, in, in such a compelling story with all the analytics that's needed to run every business across the globe? I think you're looking at a story again, 40 plus percent growth. They guided for to, through 2025 at 30% clip. Ultimately, I think that'll be conservative. The guidance is, is ahead of that already in the first quarter. So effectively, I think what you're seeing is a story that again is has to broaden a, away from these big mega contracts and, and get volume and not just land the elephants as, as we say in software land land the antelopes and land a lot of them and that motion takes time to pick up so i, I don't believe that the growth um is is decelerating materially that's their guide we think they'll be conservative again uh they beat the quarter in, in q4 relative to where they were at both on the top and the bottom line they were way more profitable than anyone thought so uh, again, I, I don't, I don't think this is not a snowflake-like growth story. If you want to compare it to others we cover, certainly there are faster-growing software companies. But I think, as they say, they solve the world's biggest problems that others can't. And and again, the customer reference checks, you know, support that. Brent, great to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Brent Thill of Jefferies. Uh, Guy, as I recall, your acronym for the year. Um, was hope with the P? Look at you for Palantir. The, it wasn't hose. That's right. It wasn't hose with Fantastic. an S for a snowflake. It was hope with a P for Palantir. No. Um, so, what do you think of the stock now? Because yeah, hose would have been a very odd, uh, an odd one for 2021. I mean, without you know, without. <laughs> what do I think? I think if you go back and look from November, from Thanksgiving until New Year's, the stock basically went sideways between. 25 and 27, I think that's probably where we're going to settle back into and make the next leg higher. Had a huge move up to 38 a couple times, failed. The back and fill makes sense. But if they want to, you know, if Palantir needs to hunt antelope, they can come sit on my deck. They can go nuts for a couple days. I mean, I'm sure they have a field day with some of the wildlife I got going on back there. So I don't think hunting, you know, the big game hunting, I think that's a thing of the past, by the way. Coming up, a budding opportunity. NBA All-Star Chris Webber joins us on how he is digging into the pot space to give back. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wanted to take a quick check on the markets uh, before we head into our next guest in the cannabis space. Um, we had very little change here uh, on the Dow, the S&P, the Nasdaq, but markets continue to hang on to, uh, to record highs here. Uh, we had the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index still stage gains up by about six-tenths of a percent. We're tracking that very closely because of the ongoing chip shortage um, happening uh, across the country and around the world here. Uh, but again, record highs still for the markets as the 10-year yield uh, notches another uh, record, actually the the highest level since last March, 1.31 percent. 
Um, BK, what did you make of uh, that uh, climb to 1.31% today? Did you think that that would have taken the markets down? Yeah, I, I would have thought that. This morning when I saw bonds, particularly a 30-year bond falling as much as it did, 30-year bond futures were down quite a bit before the open. I thought ultimately that would hit earnings. I, I think what the market and what equity investors are pricing in is that the Fed's not going to let this go too far. So I would say, you know, I'd even go so far as to say if we hit, let's call it 2.5% on the 30, maybe 2% on the 10-year, I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed pegs rates there for the next couple of years. They did it in the 50s, and I think that might be what equity investors are anticipating. All right, let's move on here. As cannabis continues on its path to legalization in the United States, many are looking for ways to dig into the business. Our next guests are helping to create a new generation of entrepreneurs. Let's bring in five-time NBA all-star and entrepreneur himself, Chris Weber, and Jason Wilde, president of JW Asset Management. JW Asset Management is one of the largest institutional investors in the cannabis space. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Chris, I will start off with you. You wanted to help underrepresented entrepreneurs. Why the cannabis industry in particular? Well, I believe that it's a market that is just now getting started and the potential is just exciting there. And then having a partner, I have to acknowledge Jason, because as an industry leader uh, in the in cannabis, um, him making uh, the commitment to uh, change the culture, to be inclusive, uh, and diversity is our strength. So I just thought, I mean, what a wonderful opportunity, not only to be able to help create change, but to be able to have a business mind like Jason behind that. I, I feel that, that that's just wonderful infrastructure for everyone. Hey, Chris, it's great having you. Uh, this is Tim, by the way, and, and you'll be happy to know that before the show, Mel said she was sad to see that the Greek freak passed you in all-time triple doubles uh, a couple days ago. So she's She's pumped about that. Talk about cannabis and professional <laughs> sports leagues. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the complexity of this issue, but the NBA as a very progressive league and, and how they are handling this issue. And as a, a former player and still very much part of that community, uh, how you see this relationship with cannabis progressing. Well, I think uh, it's the voice of the youth, and I think that youth understand they aren't held to the same label. So maybe in my generation where you had to take certain pills that would cause ulcers or other things or you needed other things for sleep aids, that this helps and uh, um, uh, uh, recoup time. It helps uh, also in swelling and other things that, that we've seen. And so as kind of uh, players have embraced it in all sports, uh, not just uh, basketball from you know, my friends in hockey, uh, NFL, and, and other things. I think these leagues are going to have to change and embrace it along with their best stars and the biggest and brightest stars as well. Chris, I think it's amazing hey, hey, what you're doing. Both you guys should be... Oh, I'm sorry, BK. No, no, go ahead, guy. No, I was going to ask you, and I apologize, Chris. I, I, what I was going to say was, can you believe it's 30 years ago that you entered that freshman class in Michigan? And my question to you is basketball-related. Do you think that's one of the top three stories in college basketball history? Because you can go back and look at those videos, and to me, that's something that you could watch for hours if they're back on. I would say it's one of the top three, only because you have to include the teams that came before us, whether it's the great Kareem teams or even as recent in that time as UNLV and other teams that we took inspiration from. And then kind of the legacy we left and how the younger kids have 
taking it on. And so at, at that time, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just embracing the moment. Um, so I definitely think it's, uh, you know, uh, we really didn't know what was going on at that time. But I tell you what, now understanding the impact we have is wonderful. And hopefully uh, we can have the same impact uh, with this endeavor as well. Jason, this is a private equity fund that you're launching. Um, and, and so what what do you foresee as sort of the, the end game for you in this? Or do you think some of these companies will go public eventually, be rolled up into a bigger company? Uh, yeah, so I think that we, first of all, we want to uh, level the playing field. Uh, the uh, uh, black and uh, uh, the uh, people of color in, in, in the United States have been uh, disproportionately uh, incarcerated over cannabis. Uh, and uh, today, while there are many legal state-level programs, uh, about 80% of them are uh, r- uh, run and owned uh, by white uh, people, and only 10% of them are uh, owned by people of color. So part of the goal of this is to really uh, even, even the playing field and uh, give, uh, give uh, other people uh, and uh, other entrepreneurs a chance to uh, succeed in this industry. Uh, we're going to do that not only through uh, money, which is obviously helpful, but also uh, Chris and I have committed to really uh, helping these entrepreneurs and really setting them up for success uh, and, and working with them hand in hand. Uh, there's lots of, uh, once, we, once we help build these successful companies, there's lots of ways that, uh, that, that these businesses could be monetized. Uh, uh, some of them are going are, are the ability to uh, to go public or to or to sell to uh, other companies. Uh, but we're really uh, I look uh, generally when we look at businesses that we're investing in that we're and that we're trying to uh, uh, help. Uh, we really focus on making sure that they have the best chance of su- of success. And we worry about the we worry about the exit later because if we build a, if we build a business that's uh, sustainable and profitable, then uh, everything else sort of takes care of itself. Best of luck to you both. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a great fund. It's a great idea. Chris and Jason, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Tim, how do you think this could uh, help the industry? Tim is obviously frozen. <laughs> so, Brian Kelly, I'll, I'll go to you on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think any type of, you know, Jay, uh, I'm sorry, Chris hit it right on the head, is that the NBA is going to have to change because the younger generation is demanding this. So you think about this, this is not for the boomers. This is the millennials and the Zoomers. And if you think about, you know, one of these mega trends, <laughs> cannabis and, and cannabis as medical cannabis, I think is one of those mega trends. And if you can get a celebrity like this to endorse it, it changes the view on this because the boomers certainly have their own view on what cannabis can and cannot be. Guy certainly remembers a lot of the Woodstock days, but that's not cannabis these days. Although there is an argument that cannabis these days is also a big boomer component because it is used for pain relief, back pain relief, for instance, (laughs) joint pain relief. Um, Tim, I know you can speak to this. You're the cannabis king, so you're back. You're not frozen. I'm back. I'm nodding. Um, look, I, 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 I think this is what Chris was going to get to. I mean, I think culturally, again, cannabis has been used as an OTC, uh, you know, aid for uh, a lot of if, if it wasn't OTC. But I, I think the point is perceptions have changed so much. The ability to to change some of the social equity dynamics within this industry at a time when this is a generational 
opportunity. And, and this is a sophisticated consumer products group that I, I think is going to offer tremendous opportunities if handled. Again, this is a, a development fund that I think is going to be focused straight on helping those communities. So great for these guys for doing it. Um, full disclosure, I work with Jason and the team at JW. So, you know, I know a lot about the background of this fund. And I think uh, I've seen this industry progress. And, and I think there's a lot of good here uh, that's legit. In terms of the younger folks and the, the Zoomers, as BK um, <laughs> called them, see, we've certainly seen the interest in sort of this retail trading community of late with a lot of these stocks going just haywire. Yeah, yeah. if you look at the election, we added four more states where the legalization of, of, uh, of marijuana has come on board. So I believe it's about 15 uh, states that are legalized for recreational, mm -hmm. about 35 that are legalized for medicinal. So this is definitely a rising tide is lifting all boats. So I think this is a spot where everyone should stay focused on for your returns and your outsized performance. Time for the final trade. It is that time. Tim Seymour, kick it off. Yeah, I think this story in Palantir, you, know, you mentioned uh, Robinhood and, pa and some of the Reddit trades. I think a lot of this move down was just taking it down there. I, I buy this weakness in Palantir. Steve Grasso. WPF. It was abused in the last couple of weeks. This is one that they're giving away. Buy it both hands. WPF. Brian Kelly. I think you stick with gold here. GLD. Really like that one on this weakness. Guy Dami. Caterpillar breaking out to the upside, Melissa. All right, Guy. <laughs> that does it for us this hour, but do not go anywhere. We've got a Fast Money special report on a new American investor that is coming up right after this break at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on CNBC. Stay tuned. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.